0: Welcome to episode 11 of the Trans Questioning Podcast. I'm your host. So, uh, I'm standing in my fucking garage, in my fucking coat, because it's like 12 degrees outside, and the garage is cold, and it's exposed, and there's no uh, heating here, so I'm out here because I I wanted to make the podcast, but I didn't have anywhere else to go, so I'm in the garage, I'm in a fucking coat in my own house in the garage. Wow, this intro is rambling. All right, so I didn't say my name when I started this ramble because today was an interesting day. I guess it wasn't that interesting. I don't know. I had my first day back in classes after a month off over winter break. And I have to say, I am so relieved to be back in school and have a schedule. I did not get shit done over the break. And a lot of that, I think, just has to do with the fact that I need a schedule to work around, I guess. So uh, that's a good thing to know about myself. Sure, fine. But while I was walking to class this morning, I was listening to a Homestuck album, Strife, which is very good. You should go check it out, even if you don't care about Homestuck, which is probably most of you. I was thinking about stuff, uh, nothing in particular. Uh, When I'm walking around and listening to music, I'm kind of just vegging out. Uh, I actually don't listen to music the way I think most people do, which is that music for me is sort of Entering into a different state of mind in a general sense. I've had people ask me like, oh, "What's your favorite album?" and I'll say, uh, <laughs> "I don't know," and I'll probably say like some brand new album or a Pink Floyd album, uh, and they'll say, "What's your favorite song?" and I'm like, "I couldn't tell you what any of them are." <laughs> there, there there are albums that I have listened to hundreds of times whose lyrics I don't know. So that tells you something about the way that I listen to music. Which fun side. Bar And I'm already getting so fucking distracted today. One of my classes is um, film and other expressive forms, I think it's called. And the idea is exploring how similar stories are adapted through film, books, and music. In different ways, so we're reading Animal Farm, and tonight we actually listened to Animals by Pink Floyd, by which I mean we had a devoted screening time where we all sat in a room and listened to Animals by Pink Floyd, which was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had as a film student, because I love that album. I've listened to that album a million times. I think it's my favorite... Pink Floyd album. I actually had never really paid attention to the lyrics. And so I was listening to it with the lyrics in front of me taking notes. And suddenly I'm like, oh man, this album is telling a story. Whoa, when did that happen? So yeah, that tells you a little something about how I uh, listen to music anyway, while I was walking to class this morning, I had this thought that I had occasionally, uh, I keep coming back to this idea of uh, what is my name? There's this whole element of, you know, transitioning where, oh, you need to have a a female signifying name uh, and you need to change all of your legal documents and all of that stuff. And that's been both daunting in a literal sense of, wow, that's a lot of work, but also in a more of an emotional sense to me, because I don't have like a negative relationship with my name or with my, my past self. I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but I know that like my first name is a name that uh, my my mom really loved my middle name. I was named after somebody who uh, was a very close family friend who seemed to have been a very amazing person. And this he died in a, a motorcycle accident, f- f- drunk driving a few weeks before I was born, I believe. And so I was named after him. And then my last name is my dad's side of the family, and I've always liked it. So there's just a very particular sort of historical connection or or familial connection that I have with my name that, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't resent, you know, people calling me I actually went to. Um, I'll get to. I'll get into this later because it's it's a topic. Anyway, so considering the the question of a name, Zara was something when I first came out to a friend of mine from. Uh, high school. He threw this name at me uh, among a bunch of others as like, ooh, this could be fun. And I liked the sound of it in a vague sense of like, ooh, that's a nice middle ground between having to choose a brand new name and, you know, abandoning my old one. Because I I like the Z, you know? It's a uh, it's a good it's a good letter you know it's right there at the end and it's it's really angular jagged lines I just like the letter Z I don't know I'm 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 a self obsessed millennial what do you want from me but Zara has never particularly felt comfortable coming out of my mouth and I d- d- have never really been certain that it would be like my final name I kind of always suspected that it wasn't going to be the name that I wanted to pick it was just. You know, me trying on the idea of a female signifying name, but uh, the long and short of it is that it just it's not the perfect fit verbally, like out loud in text. I like it a lot. But so I was walking to class today and I sort of just stumbled into this chain of thoughts of, you know, uh, what is my name? Do I stick with? Or do I change it? Do I like Zara? What do I come up with? How do you come up with a name for yourself? How do you figure out like, okay, so this is my name now. Everybody refer to me as this. You knew me by this other name, which is the name that I have poured my soul into. But now there's a new name that I'm going to begin pouring my soul into from here on out. That's probably not true for most people. I, I have a very particular relationship with names. I think I've said this in a previous episode. But I, in my own fiction writing, I have a very particular obsession with names for characters. I feel like I don't know a character until I have found their name. And once I have found that name, like I understand them, and then I have a really hard time changing that name if it turns out that like it's a name that belongs to a famous person that I don't want the association with uh, that person, with that character, which has happened, or uh, like in a fantasy setting when I was in high school, I named a character Akashi in a um, European sort of fantasy setting. And I had to jump through a million hoops to justify why like two characters had Japanese names when everybody else had kind of European names. And the answer was, I like anime. Okay, shut up. But so this is another one of those things that doesn't really get talked about that much. It's like, how do you find a new name? This is a question I wish I had asked Karta Munir when she was on two episodes ago, because uh, Karta is a, a great name. And I meant to ask if that was a name that she had from early on or how she arrived at it. And that's something that I'm probably going to ask future guests, assuming guests will come in the future. But anyway, to get finally around to the point, while I was walking to class and following this train of thought once once again, I had this sort of moment of zen when the name Sarah popped into my brain. And it's so funny, This 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 feeling like, oh, that's it. That's the name. And it's... It follows along in the pattern of so many things in my life where I... I don't want to say, oh, things just work out. But in a way, they kind of do. And I've always been kind of a zen-ish, to put it in the most uh, culturally appropriate of way. Just sort of, you know, really fluid and and roll-with-the-punches kind of person. God, I sound like such an asshole. But whatever, I... Uh, I try not to get mad about stuff. I try not to get obsessed with things, although that I fail at that a lot. You know, once I once a thought comes into my head, I don't deliberate on it too much, you know? So, like, once as soon as I realized that I was trans, it's like, oh, yeah, I am. Uh, as soon as I had the thought that I should do this podcast, I started doing this podcast. There wasn't, like, a, a sit-down, like, oh, I don't know, I should weigh the pros and cons. Like, am I really the person to do this? That sort of thing. And, you know, if I had done that, I probably would have burnt out whatever energy it was that propelled me to try to start doing this in the first place. And then I wouldn't have done it. And that energy is sort of it can it can it can lead you into bad situations. And I think that's a lot of like the problem with uh cis white male creativity is sort of just like running on that kind of like compelling energy without questioning what you're making with that energy. But that's a subject for another day. But so it's 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 interesting to me that the name that I hooked on to was Zara and it didn't quite quite feel right in a way that I can't quite explain. It's like, I like those sounds. And I like the way that it it feels in a particular way. But it's not me. It's not my name. But as soon as Sarah showed up in my brain, it's like, oh, that's it. Like they're just even just saying it out loud. And I think part of the reason why it took me so long to get to The point here is that I was afraid that once I actually said it out loud, I would realize that I'm fucking wrong. But now that I am actually saying it out loud, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it, Sarah. And then I, uh, I, I, (laughs) as soon as I got to my, my class after having that realization, like I didn't want to forget it. I feel like there was another time when I found a name that felt good, but it wasn't as close as this one was. I, uh, I, and I did forget that one, but I, I, I pulled out my notebook and I just, I just wrote down like in a scrawl, like my name is Sarah Z because you got to keep the Z in there, man. The Z is great. And the Z is going to be, or the Z stands for... So that's going to be my name uh, with my last name after that. Just, you know, to keep that alive. Sarah. Sarah. It's so pedestrian. It's like it's just like a normal ass name. I feel like the, the the real test of uh how serious you are about being trans is the degree to which you're willing to like go buck wild with your name. And that's unfair and probably very mean. And and most of the trans people that I know pick like normal ass names. But it's it's so bizarre to me that this name which you know, phonetically to a, to a non English speaker, especially like, what is the difference between Zara and Sarah? Like, there's there's a there's a minor different inflection on the first A, ah versus a, right? Yes, but. You know, Z and S are sounds that in are, are not distinguished in some languages. So why is it that Zara, to me, is like, oh, that's not quite right, but Sarah, with an H at the end, for, and for whatever reason, the H is there. Like, I, I knew that the H was there. Why do I know that? It's so, it's so strange to me. Language is such a strange thing. But that, but, but just, but just these sounds, it's like, yes, that's me. Somehow these, these sounds and letters and this like weird phonetic makeup that's barely distinguishable from the thing that didn't feel right feels right. And it's, I don't know, it's just tripping me up a little bit, and and I, 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 I wanted to try to come up with some advice for, like, how do you find your name, but like fucking everything else in this stupid-ass journey, it's about trusting your gut, which I just hate. I hate that there's no, like, steps you can follow. It's just a fucking crapshoot, and you gotta hope that your chakras are aligned or some garbage. Ugh. So, anyway, my name is Sarah. I'm your host. It is January 16th, 2018. And I want to give you an update about something that I left hanging in some previous episodes about the fact that I bought some clothes off of the website ThreadUp as suggested by Carta Maneer. And I mentioned that I bought pants that I was like excited about because, oh, I need pants, which I do. I got those pants and they were hilariously oversized. When family would buy me, like, um, uh, dress shirts for a long time and they didn't know what my size was, they would go with, like, double XL, which is technically only, like, one bigger than what I typically wore. But for whatever reason, the jump from XL to double XL is like, oh, here's a shirt that's just slightly too big to, oh, I'm wearing a circus tent now. You put it on and you're just immediately like, oh, this is this is a house that I'm wearing around me. I, I, I'm just going to give this away because it's not it's not it's not right for me and this is, this is what those pants are like so i sent them back and i'm looking at other stuff uh but i did get three other bits of clothing from from thread up that are great one is just like a normal ass like athletic slim fit t-shirt that i liked because it had uh like a front hue going on and i like that the real winner was a a sweater that's got like a purple plaid sort of front that's very simple and it's a little baggy so it uh, hides my Unfeminine curves, I guess. And then I also got like a shawl, just like a yarn shawl, which I haven't really worn yet because it's the, I, I have this process of having to, uh, to, uh, work myself up to these like particular milestones of, of wearing clothes. I just, I have this thing in my pocket. I'm so sorry for jumping back to this. I have this thing in my pocket that I, uh I have been carrying around with me all day the Im- immediate instant that I had the realization like oh Sarah that's my name I looked down on the fucking ground and there was a yarn like keychain ring that's black uh with white letters and it says rebirth I, it, wh- the universe is incomprehensible and I just don't know what to do about it so anyway, I uh, and, and I picked it. I picked it up, of course. Like I walked past it and I saw it, and I thought, "Oh, that's funny." And then I think, "Wait, what? D- I no, no. And I picked it up, and like, yeah, it whatever. So uh, now I have it. That's yeah. It's a symbol. It's going to be one of those things as I tell my great, 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 great grandchildren about because I'm going to live forever because I'm young. So anyway, uh, after getting these clothes, I finally started to dress up a little bit around the house in front of my friends. And there was a... uh, I I got some knee-high socks, which are super great. I'm wearing one of them now. And I got... a a pair of like flowery shorts that I was surprised fit and look super cute. So my starting point was that sweater plus leggings, plus knee high socks, plus those shorts, which is just kind of like a basic feminine signifying look that is also fairly, you know, easy to pull off and not that wild although the colors are probably all over the place and clashing but nobody you know threw a fit in my house which is expected but uh the big test and the thing that I'm, uh, I've, I've been thinking about. So this last weekend, my friend uh, Lauren Bumgarner, who is the sister of the woman who made the cover art for this podcast, had the second showing of her film. I think I know where I stand, and I worked on this film, and I helped her develop it with a couple of other friends, and it's an amazing, amazing thing. I, I don't know how to describe it exactly because it's basically, uh, Lauren is a dancer and choreographer. So she she has a really great way of integrating dance with her her films and I cannot recommend her stuff enough. But this particular film, it's, I think 60 minutes and it's eight girls of different ages, that uh, we filmed them in uh, four locations, uh, two of them individual to each girl. And the whole thing is sort of encapsulating their their fears and their dreams through space and dance. And we had music commissioned that's really great. But the, the real kicker of the show is that those girls, those dancers are there. And there's choreography where the girls Uh, start off in front of the screen as a group and they have have a particular choreographed dance-ish sequence. I say ish because it's not quite like a, a, a dance number the way that you would think of it. It's just more like rhythmic moving together. And they all exit then for each individual section about each girl, that girl comes out and stands in front of the screen with the projection on her, looking out into the audience, just stands there and then, during a particular moment, uh they dance and it's an improv dance, and they do it for thirty to forty five seconds. And then they return to their place. And then when their section is over, they leave. And it's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I cry every time I see it. And it's, I mean, I've seen like rough cuts of it for a while and I always liked it. But seeing it performed is so amazing. And I wish that there was a way to get it to be seen by more people. But the, just the the weird nature of it makes it kind of impossible. But anyway, I got to go to this second showing and... This is the first time that these friends have seen me since I came out as as trans to them. Uh, First time they've seen me in probably well over a year, actually. So at this point, I've lost like 60 pounds, and I'm uh, taking better care of myself in a general sense. So I decided to mark the occasion it would be good to go out in girl mode, which is kind of a weird way to put it. That's how people talk about it. I don't know how comfortable I am with that, but whatever. We'll just say it for simplicity's sake. Going out in girl mode. So I wore that getup. The sweater, the leggings, the shorts, the knee-high socks, a nice pair of shoes that were shoes I've had for a long time, but they look uh, not masculine necessarily. So this was a good experience. It was strange. I was nervous the entire time, and nobody did anything. It was great in that regard. I I mean, I I wouldn't have expected anybody to pull some shit. This was like, you know, an art gallery thing. But I did get weird looks from a lot of people, and that was odd. I felt very visible the entire time. And it was stressful in a big way i kind of avoided the crowd for as long as i could and i just felt exposed but i was also just like really happy with my clothes and they felt right in a way that clothes clothes don't usually do so that was a good sign um, and it was stressful and um, that's to be expected. Like I said, last week's episode, you know, I, it just takes practice like anything else, but I'm, I'm glad that I did that. You know, from everything that I've, I've, I've said up to this point, I'm in this sort of interesting headspace where I am, I, I can tell that I'm, I'm right on the verge of presenting part-time and potentially full-time. And by on the verge, I mean like within six to ten months. That could be a wild over- or underestimate at this point. It really depends on how the winds change. And like I said, I'm someone who tends to follow the winds. So, you know, I could start going full-time tomorrow if it suited me. And I would probably reap the benefits of that. But anyway, there is again this sense of once you come out, then you start cross-dressing and then you're, you know, you're presenting. And there is very much a transition phase, which you think would be implied by the name transition. But there's something about, that's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that. There's something about just like the the use of the word transition and, and transgender that sort of like takes the actual phase of transitioning kind of out of the equation, where to say that you are going to transition is to forefront the end of that process without really talking about or explaining or understanding the process itself. That's sort of a weird linguistic trick right there. But anyway, I'm very much in this, like, I'm over the slump at the moment anyway. I'm sure I'll have another downturn sooner or later. But I'm over that slump for now and feeling really confident about my future and about like transitioning and I'm, I'm feeling really good about this semester. I'm closer to feeling healthy. You know, I've got landmarks on the horizon to look forward to. You know, things are things are going all right, and I'm I'm less daunted by the idea of presenting female in public and going through the the transition process. As a uh, as a general update, I know I said that I was going to start laser hair removal soon. I. thought up. So I have a really bad habit of plucking hairs when I'm anxious. And I was anxious a lot over this winter break because. You know, I didn't have a schedule to keep, so I was just left to my own devices, and I should never be left to my own devices. And there was, I have this weird thing of like, I'll I touch my face a lot, and if I touch a certain part of my face, and I notice, you know, it's it, the the hair there is a little bit longer than anywhere else, I just start to like obsessively touch that area, like. Oh, there's something different. I need to get rid of it. I need to do something about it. So, some, most of the time, that means you know, breaking out my uh, uh, trimmer thing and getting rid of it. But for whatever reason, there there are times when it's just like I want to. I want to pluck it because I think I think it might be kind of a self harm thing. I've been trying to figure out why I do this, and I think there is like a a general dopamine release of like, oh, this hurts, but oh, it's not you know the more you do it the more you, you get used to it and there's just sort of like a weird emotional release involved and i'm not somebody who's ever particularly uh f- found positive qualities in pain as someone who's struggled with depression all my life i never really de- devolved to self-harm or at least not physical self-harm because i you know didn't like pain <laughs> so i you know i would try it <laughs> <laughs> I would tr- I would try self-harm because, you know, all the kids are doing it these days. And I'd just be like, ow, oh, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that funny, but I think it's funny for, for me. It's sad. It's sad. Funny. It's funny because it's sad. But so to use a inappropriate but kind of ironic turn of phrase, I, I got a wild hair across my ass and uh, started plucking my mustache because it was bothering me and I kept doing it. And I couldn't stop. So I broke out my mirror and my headlamp and like got right up into it. And I literally plucked every single hair in my mustache. It took me like four hours. And when it was over, I just sort of like looked at this pile of hair on my desk and like the time that I had wasted doing this. And I was like, what? Why the fuck did I just do this? What is my deal? (laughs) And I honestly couldn't tell you. It was like I just went into a fugue and it just happened. So I then immediately was like, hey, can you do laser hair removal after you've plucked hairs? No, is the answer to that, it turns out. So I have to wait now. It's been about a week, maybe a week and a half since this happened, and I can see the hairs starting to grow back. But uh, everywhere that I looked said that you need to wait two to four weeks before Uh, doing laser. So that's where that is. Once everything is back in order, then I'll start laser. So my schedule has been pushed back a little bit, but not that much, but it's fine. It's fine. Whatever. It was nice. I will say to see part of my face without facial hair and just like oh, this is what I could look like? Because, you know, the mustache area is probably the most important one to get removed in a lot of ways because it's it, it's the most dense. You know, people who've gone to laser a bunch, they still tend to have a little bit of that mustache shadow and it's hard to get rid of. But, you know, plucking it with, with it being gone, even with, you know, the rest of my face still having a shadow, there's just like this sense of, uh, oh, yeah, there's a silhouette I, could, I, I, I can get behind. There's probably a better way to put that, but that's life, man, whatever. So I want to talk about gender reassignment surgery. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about a little bit on the, on the podcast for a while because it's a complicated subject. I don't have any sources in front of me. I don't have, like, notes prepared or anything. I'm going to just wing this the way that I wing everything, and it's probably not the best way to do it, and I'm not a healthcare professional or a psychologist. I'm a film student, so as always, take my opinions for what the fuck ever they're worth, which is not a whole, whole lot. One of the first things you'll see in any article about how to talk to or about trans people is do not ask about grs do not ask about gender reassignment surgery you know don't ask them do you want the surgery uh do you plan to have the surgery have you already had the surgery and that is true that's good you should not do those things however there is a unfortunate side effect to this which is that there isn't really a lot of conversation about GRS as a result. So again, when I had Carta on, that was one of the questions that I had on my mind, but it's a rude question to ask, you know? and it, it it is a rude question you're asking about somebody's genitals and their plans for their genitals like that's that's a weird thing to discuss and yeah it's nobody's business but from one trans person to another i think there should be room to have that discussion and to sort of like air out your your fears and doubts because in the same way that there is this omnipresent narrative of i knew i was trans since the moment i was born and you know i'm a, I'm a woman in a man's body whatever there's also this narrative of eventually you're going to get grs like that seems like that's intrinsically part of the trans narrative of the end goal is to eventually become indistinguishable from the gender that you are trying to present as, which is of course a very gender binary normative perspective, but that's how most things are. So we're we have to deal, we have to live with the culture that we've been given. And so I have kind of complex feelings about GRS, as I think probably most people do. And I'm, I just wanna wanna chat about that a little bit because you know I don't think well obviously nobody should feel pressured to to get that huge of a surgery but it's also you know you shouldn't feel ashamed for not wanting it you see a lot people saying and I, I count myself in this you know I don't have the extraordinary dysphoria that a lot of people describe so I constantly doubt my my transness as a result you know when you don't feel the same co- sort of pressures that that a lot of people trans people describe, you feel like, well, maybe I'm not as trans as they are. Maybe I'm not trans at all. Maybe I'm just making it up because these are the the most common signifiers, which as I've covered exhaustively in this episode and every other episode is absolutely bullshit. But these are the thoughts you have, you know, and you shouldn't just push them away. You should deal with them. You should like stop and live with those thoughts and ask yourself, like, why do I feel this way? And so with with GRS, you know, straight up for me, I don't want, that at all i i don't i don't for for a number of reasons uh there's there's the aspect of Uh, As I've already stated, I'm not a huge fan of pain, and it sounds like an incredibly painful procedure. Uh, And just as a general content warning uh, from here on out, I'm going to be talking pretty frankly about uh, genitals and various things that can be medically done unto them. So if that's not your cup of tea, move on. Uh, And I'm sorry, but uh, I hope you have a good, pleasant afternoon and that you can then go on to listen to another podcast that's just as good or better. But, you know, so so uh, uh, gender reassignment surgery for uh, trans women basically looks like uh, splitting, splitting open your your penis and sort of inverting it and uh, removing your testicles and using all of that skin to create a a, a vagina and utilizing the the head of the penis to turn it into a clitoris. So it becomes essentially a, a functional vagina in every way except that it you don't have a uterus, but in reading people's descriptions of what it's like to have had a vaginoplasty, I believe is what it's called. You uh, first of all medically, it is. I don't want to describe it as a wound because that's a thing that turfs say to uh, uh, hate on trans women, but it does close up over time if you don't dilate it. So you have a set of medical dilators, which are essentially measured dildos that you have to put in for a certain amount of time each day, and you step up. And you have to do it basically for the rest of your life. The the frequency decreases radically over the course of the first year, I believe. But it is generally like you're supposed to do it, I think, like once once a week. I think that's right. Maybe it's more frequent than that. And penetrative sex counts as dilation after a certain point. So, you know, for people who have active sex lives that's pretty rad. But as you can imagine, like that extensive of a surgery can be very painful if you don't have all of the hairs very thoroughly electrolysized on the skin that is used to create the interior of the vagina. It, you can have ingrown hair problems. But yeah, if you don't keep up the dilation, which I understand is extraordinary, extraordinarily painful at the beginning because it's, you know, it's it, it's a it's an area of your body that's probably bruised to hell because it's a and turned inside out. If you don't do that, it closes up and your effective cavity size decreases. So it's, it's an extraordinarily painful and expensive procedure that also you're not particularly taught how to use it beyond a purely functional sense. I read a uh, an op-ed by somebody, and I, uh, I hope I have it bookmarked. I'm not sure if I do. Basically, describing how you know they had an idea of what having a having a vagina would feel like in a sensual and sexual sense, but the reality was much less sensitive than they were expecting. You know, the 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 the, the walls of the vagina weren't as sensitive as they expected them to be, because it's you know it's basically just normal skin. They did eventually find. Ways of pleasuring themselves that were better than what they had ever known in the past, but they had to discover that on the, on their own, and it is something that's like distinctly different from how a cisgendered woman has to, to to pleasure herself or be pleasured by another person, and that's fine. Whatever, I I don't I don't say that as a discouraging fact or to say that like if you have gender reassignment surgery you are uh not a real woman what uh, why is that the implication i don't fucking know but basically like it's 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 all great it's all fine and it doesn't it doesn't doesn't matter you weigh the those consequences for yourself obviously but uh for me the other element of it is beyond just the fact that like i can't afford it and i would hate the process of it and i don't know that i would love the result i also uh, to 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 put it the most blunt possible way i don't hate my penis which is an interesting thing, um, and that's not abnormal for for trans people, for for trans women by any means. But it's certainly not the 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 most public narrative. Although, if you look at trans porn in a general sense, it's all chicks with dicks, which I fucking hate as a as a term. But um, yeah, you know, this is getting into like sexual territory that. It, I don't. I don't really need to talk about, and you don't really need to hear. Uh, but just, just as a, in a general way, like I don't hate that aspect of my anatomy, and from what I understand of how uh, hormone replacement therapy affects your sex drive as uh, as an assigned male at birth person. I actually, (laughs) all of those descriptors like sort of excite me in a very particular way. Like I, um, besides just the fact of having an overall lowered sex drive, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a particularly sexual person in general. And, you know, uh, I I guess in general, I I tend to be more demisexual. I'm more, I'm not really attracted to people unless I I have a, a, a good like intellectual relationship with them. And even then the people that I thought I was sexually attracted to, I wasn't ever really, or had a hard time. I think I'm, I like stories more than anything. We don't need to get into it. The point is that like that loss of sex drive is not an issue for me, but also, you know, the, the, there, there are trans women who describe an increased sex drive uh, after hormone replacement therapy in a very particular sense. And they describe better orgasms that, that last longer because, it's not the sort of like spontaneous thing where you have an erection and, you know, you, you you build up very quickly to climax and then it's over and it's like, oh, time to sleep, whatever, you know, typical male uh, assigned male at birth sort of uh, story of orgasm. But when you're on hormone replacement therapy, when your testosterone's uh, uh, blocked, and when you're on estrogen, the process changes. And that's really interesting to me. And all of the descriptions that I've read of that are like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds fun, I guess, uh, to put it in the most dumb way possible. Is it the third time I've, I've used that frame for a, a statement to put it in the most blank way possible? And so unfortunately'm I'm, I'm not really talking about like what with the similar experiences with with trans men because I haven't had as much cause to do that research obviously uh, and I don't want to hazard uh, a description of what that, Particular uh, what 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 GRS looks like for trans men because whatever knowledge I have of it I think is probably outdated so yeah it's unfortunate that I'm 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 excluding that I'm talking about the the aspects that I've looked into because they are relevant to my future as as a trans person so I think it's difficult when you're trying to parse your part in the narrative or your version of the narrative when you don't have the most like common aspects of it like you don't have the overwhelming dysphoria maybe like me your dysphoria is very specific and isn't always there and is kind of tied to aspects of your body that you're able to control or that are are, are in the process of changing maybe y- you don't hate your genitals, maybe you don't have the kind of like disassociation from your physical body the way that a lot of trans people describe. It's difficult to to be in that position and be in the, the, the process of figuring out what you want to do with yourself because the answers don't seem as clear because even in this weird journey where you're kind of realizing the gender binary is bullshit and if if you want to be a woman you can be a woman it doesn't matter if you want to be a man you can be a man if you want to be something else entirely you can there's nothing stopping you there's no rules that will put you in gender jail if you fucking break them but even in that process, there is still this overwhelming desire to create a holistic narrative of some kind, which is true of all human endeavor. So I guess the broadest holistic narrative you could get is anybody can do anything for any reason. <laughs> and, and and like even that has a sort of exclusive tinge to it in that by excluding Specific narratives, you are making it harder for people to understand what the process should be for them, and this is this is a problem that I keep coming back to in criticism and talking about gender shit. This idea that when you talk about one thing, you're excluding conversation about all other things. And that's just an inherent fact of conversation. And that's fine. You know, y- you shouldn't have to talk about quantum physics when you're talking about whether the new Star Wars was good, which it was. Fuck you. But there is this sort of uh, compound interest that happens when one trans person describes, I was a woman born in a man's body, and I knew from day one. And another trans woman says the same thing, and another trans woman says the same thing. And their narratives are their own. They are not intended to exclude. And yet, by virtue of having those three narratives... Side by side by side, you start to imagine a pattern because the human brain is stupid. And you say, oh, so this is what being transgender is. And then when you see somebody else say, I didn't, I I, I don't know, I guess I'm, I, I don't feel right with myself sometimes, but other times I'm fine. And I just think that like you know presenting as a woman would make me more comfortable that doesn't quite that doesn't fit the pattern at all and so your lizard brain is like wait that doesn't make sense are you telling me i have to redefine another definition Ugh. and so that's just where all of this stuff is so challenging to talk about because either you're so specific that you've reduced the potential impact area of your uh, your your narrative to incredibly small niche or you're so general that your narrative means the same thing to everybody and it lacks the the specificity that allows people on the fringes to witness their own validity and so when it comes to gender reassignment surgery i think it's it's totally fine to to want it or to not want it or to not be sure whether you want it and like even for me my perspective on whether or not i want it is based on uh, uh my financial position right now and my position with my gender right now a year two years down the line after i've gone through the 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 most challenging aspects of this process it's entirely possible that my perspective on myself will have changed you know maybe i won't be as thrilled with the 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 side effects of hormone replacement therapy as i think i will be maybe i will want to to be able to go about my life as a biologically indistinguishable female? I don't know. I I can't know the answers to that question. And uh, you shouldn't feel the pressure to have the answer to that question until it's relevant to you. And I, and you know, also my, my, my feeling on that is based on uh, the science that currently exists, because if I could press a button and have like a, uh, just to have a, uh, a biologically female body, an uh, assigned female at birth body. It's so hard to talk about this shit and not like be be uh, exclusive in some way. Which is not me complaining. I'm complaining about having to asterisk me not complaining. Whatever. Fuck it. Jesus Christ. Ah, oh, USJWs. <laughs> uh, I make myself so mad with my inclusive... Rhetoric. I'm definitely gonna dye my hair pink one day, and then I will fit the image perfectly. If I could press the button and have a biologically female body, I would fucking do it right now. Uh, 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 you know, with the, with with the general bits and everything. But that's not an option, and you know, I don't I don't know how I feel about the ultimate end goal of of GRS for myself. So that's where I am on all of that. Mm. So I guess to wrap things up. I think the goal of questioning your gender and going through the actual transition process of being some kind of transgender without knowing what the the goalposts are necessarily or you know being very far away from reaching them. I think the goal of the transition process and the sense of it being a transition from one state to another should be to reach a a state of comfortability with your body. Now, that's a loaded proposition, obviously, and I'm not saying, you know, buck up and get over your dysphoria. That's bullshit. By comfortability, I don't mean, you know, explicitly, like, loving your body, although that would be ideal, but just understanding it. Understanding why you are uncomfortable with it. For me, a huge... Part of this process has been, you know, shaving my body and starting to lose weight. And these things have have brought me closer to my body in a way that I wasn't before because I I hated my body and I hated my my myself as a result. But now I'm closer to myself and I have a better understanding of it and I, I feel more comfortable in a very particular way. And so I don't like love my body, whatever, but I'm not as uncomfortable in it because. I see it for what it is and I I understand myself as like a just a biological organism I guess and I I see the steps that I'm taking to make myself better and that makes it easier for me and so I don't know how relevant that is to anybody, you know, I, I've i been reading a lot of uh, stuff about David Lynch lately, and 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 Twin Peaks in particular, and I keep coming back to his sort of approach with transcendental meditation, which is such an easy thing to like laugh at and be like, oh, meditation, whatever, but there's a lot to be said for the sort of centering of self and taking a breath and just letting your your thoughts go for a while, and feeling what your heart wants you to feel. Thank you for listening to this podcast. A couple of quick points of order. I realized while editing this episode that I said it was episode 11. I was factually incorrect. It is episode 12. The other thing that I'm wrong about is gender reassignment surgery. It's actually sex reassignment surgery. Sorry about that. If you like this podcast and you want to support me making more, I have a Patreon. patreon Patreon.com slash L-T-A-S... If you have a story about being trans in some way that you feel like the media doesn't reflect or that the grander holistic narrative does not reflect, send me an email, transquestioningpodcast at gmail.com. The music that you heard in this episode was the Me Channel theme by Insane in the Rain Music. The cover art is by Emily Bumgarner. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you again next week. I actually think I might be taking a break. If you don't hear from me in one week, you'll hear from me again in two weeks. Either way, I'll see you soon.